told the first service, I'm <clears throat> waiting for the day when the podium and I go tumbling over right down the aisle. If that day happens, it's not today. You will never see me again. Just fair warning. <laughs> Can't take it. Good morning. My name is Phil Herndon. I serve on the elder team here at uh, Fellowship for many, many years, and I'm grateful to be here today. I don't say that lightly. I am, <clears throat> every time I get to do this, I'm surprised again that God lets me do it and lets me do it with you. So I'm very grateful. So we end our day today. We end the book of Ephesians after several months of verse by verse going through it. And you notice on your outline, it's pretty simple outline. The last section of the book outlines beautifully. I'll make a confession to you though, before we start. You notice that the first and second points rhyme. I didn't mean to do that, but on that third one, thousand percent on purpose, that it rhymes with the first two. So they just, it's not creative, but it's pretty cool. So we got three points. They really outline beautifully how Paul ends the, the book. Paul has this way of writing his epistles that he spends the first section, in this case, the first three chapters, talking about the, the underpinnings, like where what he says to do with this comes from. That's chapters one, two, and three. Then four, five, and six, he talks about how to live it out, kind of the boots on the ground. So we end the book, and Monty really kind of started the end, verse 10 in chapter six of Ephesians, if you'll turn there. Monty said, uh, preached on the text that said, finally, so Paul's introducing the last thing he wants to talk about in the book, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he talks about the armor. And Jeff last week went through each piece of the armor with us one by one to talk about what they meant as Paul was sitting beside a Roman guard, kind of looking at how he might have been dressed. He's making an analogy for us around what it looks like, what we look like as we live this out. So we're going to start mid-thought down in verse 18 in just, just a moment with uh, Paul's line. So we may be tempted when, when we come to the end of a book or a letter to kind of think, well, that's just kind of a throwaway until so let's just, the book's over after he talks about the armor, the cool stuff, it's, it's finished. Stay with it. Uh, Paul has a lot to say just as the way the book ends today is how we live this out. So when John Eldridge, a writer who's really been pretty influential in, in my own life, he says this, if you think about verses 10 through 18, where we start today. Think about that, the armor. Eldridge says, until we come to terms with war as the context of our days, we will not understand life. Until we come to terms with what verse 10 is saying to us, and before then too, we will misinterpret 90% of what is happening to us and around us. In other words, once we understand what we're dealing with, we can then rightly interpret the world as it truly is. And Jeff made the comment last week. He said, if, we could, if God would pull the curtain back just for a few seconds, we would see more than we can imagine. It'd be ugly about what's going on here. And so Martin Luther made what I think is a profound statement. He said this. He said, pure theology is calling a thing what it actually is. Now think about relationships, friendships, family relationships, partnerships. Think how different it would be if the people in the relationship did that one thing. Just call a thing what it actually is. That's called an affair. That's called addiction. That's called this. That's called that. Just in really plain English. That's what this is called. And I've given 32 years of my life, um, which also a blessing to me to sit with people. And just that one thing has caused untold pain. No one in my family, people have said in different ways, no one in my family really call things what they are. 
We use euphemisms and those kinds of things and cause damage. So it's a hallmark of healthy relationship is truth telling. So when we put on that armor, that helps us do that. When I'm putting on the armor, Jeff talked about it, Monty both talked about every morning putting on that armor fresh and anew, it helps me see the world as it really is. These reminders that this is, this is what's truly going on. So with that in mind, let's start verse 18, really mid-thought of where Jeff left off last week. Talk, Jeff talked about a posture of prayer. So the second half of verse 18, let's read that. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. To uses the word there, alert. That word alert means to, to basically to lie awake and to think of. It means to don't ever not be thinking about this. Pay attention. As I've aged, sleeping through the night is just kind of a distant, precious memory. Just back there, people ask me, how'd you sleep last night? And exactly like I've slept since I was 60. Very fitfully, kind of a few minutes at a time, wake up like a baby and, you know, and then hope to get back to sleep. That's, you know, the insomnia part of that is like when that's happening, I can't, I can't not, I can't not think about it. That's what Paul's talking about here is live life in such a way when you put on this armor, be alert, be paying attention to as if you can't not do it, be paying attention to the world we're living in and what we've been called to. We're not battling people or battling something far more than that. As Jeff talked about the curtain being pulled back. We're battling powers that we can't see with a naked eye. So Paul says, look, be alert. He's referring back to the military talk he's been talking about with the armor. Be like a sentry, like a guard on duty. Be alert. Pay attention. Stay awake. I'm going to give you two things that will keep that from happening. One is called denial. You've heard me say this from up here before. Denial. We'll keep denying that this is really going on. Denial has four rules. They're unbreakable. The four rules of denial are don't see... Don't say, don't feel, and don't need. And so we can be lured into not seeing things like they really are, calling them something else. Don't dare say it out loud. Don't dare speak to what's going on. Don't bring your heart to it. Don't allow those feelings to come up about it. And don't dare admit your neediness. That's the rules that denial puts on people. Denial says, don't see it, don't say it, don't feel it, don't need it. And that that leads to a second condition, set of conditions, called apathy and or anxiety. Apathy, the word defines itself. The word apathy, the Latin prefix A, means without. And that P-A-T-H part of that is pathology or pathos or pain. So apathy means without pain. And so we can move into this territory. If I'm not seeing or saying it or feeling it or needing it, I'm just going to unplug and get on the sidelines, not be a participant in what Paul is saying that soldiers are a participant in, or anxiety. I'll get so fixated on what's going on, my body will take over. Lots of talk out there these days in counseling and neuropsych uh, circles that talk about anxiety, how the body carries this deep fear we have. And if I'm not talking about it out loud in relationship, my body's going to carry it. I'm going to be an obsession, preoccupation. My body's going to, my breathing's going to get more shallow. My pulse rate's going to go up. My core temperature goes up and my body's handling the world around me in, instead of the putting on the armor, as Paul is saying, and staying in it. So he's saying to make supplication. Supplication just simply means a request. So Paul says, as you're doing this, with this in mind, verse 10 through the first part of 18, with this in mind, 
To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, asking for things uh, from, from the saints. You remember how um, if you read letters and books, great pieces of literature, how a piece of literature ends is really important. It can sometimes kind of capture the, the thrust of the entire book. And this classic Harper Lee novel, To Kill a Mockingbird, ends this way. It's talking about the main, one of the main protagonists named Atticus Finch. She ends it this way. He, Atticus, turned out the light and went into Jim's room. He would be there all night, and he would be there when Jim waked up in the morning. It's an Alabama story, waked up in the morning. That captures the character and the thrust of this character throughout the entire book. He's going to go into that room, and when Jim goes to sleep, he's going to be sitting there, and when Jim wakes up, he's still going to be sitting there. That's the idea Paul's putting forth to us by extension in the last part of this book by saying, stay there with perseverance. As you persevere in making supplication and earnest entreaty, as you do that, as you stay alert to the world we're living with, you make supplication for the saints. There's a, a writer named Lucian. He's a historian. He lived from about 120 A.D. to about 200 A.D. Here's what he wrote. Listen to what he wrote about the early Christians. It is incredible, he says, to see the fervor with which these people of that religion help each other in their needs. They spare nothing. Their first legislator, talking about Jesus, their first legislator has put into their heads that they are all brethren. <laughs> Lucian said, these people are crazy. This, Jesus has put into their heads that they really care about one another. They really show up for one another. They really, they really walk alongside one another when times are tough and when times are good. Like Lucian's like, that's kind of nutty. That's weird in this Roman culture that we're living in. These people really care about each other. He was baffled by it. Like Jesus somehow put this into them that they, they care with, with one another. So we, there's another writer long before Lucian who wrote a psalm. Psalm 16, his name's David. Psalm 16.3 says this, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So we look around this room and we see these saints and we go, I get to be here with you in this body and you are my delight. I'm delighted to be with you. And we put the armor on every single day with each other because here's the thing. We're not praying for the armor when we make supplication. We're praying for the man or the woman inside the armor. That's who we're praying for. And so Paul is saying, as you're mindful of what we're dealing with and you're staying out of the denial thing and apathy and anxiety, you're, you're showing up and staying present in this. This is what we're, that we're doing this together. A few Monday nights ago, I sat up here with Monty and uh, we had a prayer time for the, um, the covenant shooting that happened there. Certainly uh, the Baker family was directly affected by that. The tornado three days earlier had just moved through a part of Mississippi where my family lived and two of my family members were killed. And we sat here. Many of you were here that night. We sat here together and we prayed and we talked and we were with one another. And there was something about that that was meaningful because there is a truth in the body of Christ. And when something happens to one of us, it has happened to all of us. Because we're the body together, like Lucian said. These people, they really care about one another. It matters to them what happens. With his permission, I've had conversations with some people that are directly in, um, 
affected by that shooting there. This man said to me, he said, I know the body of Christ has been praying for us. And here's a precious statement he made to me. He said, I feel so hugged by the body of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? I feel so hugged by the body of Christ. It's what he's talking about. He's saying people are making supplication for us. They're praying for us. Like the, the, the Bakers and the Herndons have experienced you praying for us and loving on us and locking arms with us. And so Paul is saying that that matters in the, in the body of Christ. And so Paul goes on, verse 19. He says, And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now you first read that and you go, Paul is asking for more boldness. <laughs> like, how bold does this guy want to be? Because there's probably no one in the scriptures more bold than Paul. And he's chained to Roman guards, he's in a Roman prison. And for whatever reason, he's saying, I pray for boldness. Pray that I would be bold. And the word boldness there is very simple. We know what it means. Without concealment or ambiguity. Paul says, please pray for me as I am in this Roman prison that I'll be really clear. I'll be really clear, and I will not be ambiguous about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I will be bold, that I will speak out loud about that. I'll tell you how we can do that with one another. I can pray for someone so much more effectively when I know their story. We can pray for one another when I know that. My, part of my story is, we've told it up here a number of times, I did a lot of moving around my high school years, went to four different high schools in four years, and I learned really effectively how to be a chameleon. could fit in anywhere. Any, I went from, from Marietta, Georgia, to Kansas City, to Memphis, to Oklahoma City, like all kind of middle of the country. So I could fit in in any of those places um, then. So when you're pray, what would keep me from being bold? I got a real tendency to change colors wherever I am. So when you're praying for me for boldness, you can pray that, that Phil would would be very aware of his tendency toward trying to fit in and that he would be bold, tell the truth. You may have other stories, you will have other stories that do other things, but as we know one another, backward with our stories, our portrait, every week we stare at that, backward with our story, that helps me to know to make supplication. I'm not informing God, he knows, I'm informing me how to pray for you. And we pray, we inform one another about our stories, how to pray for one another. The Roman army had a, um, a way of communication. They would send a runner from one platoon to another, but when the distance was too far, like retreat or the enemies coming on the left flank or some more information they needed to, to disseminate way away from where the battle was raging at the moment, they had a series of flags, and they had letters in a certain order in these flags. They would raise them up, and that would send the message. Uh, back, back and forth from there. You, you, you know what they were doing, right? They were texting. <laughs> they were sending texts. And so we didn't make that up, by the way. Nothing new under the sun, the writer of Ecclesiastes said. There's nothing new. It just looks different. So these Roman army, are, they're texting one another. And what a great idea for us. One of the single greatest blessings of my life, I am not stretching this, one of the single greatest blessings of my life is an ongoing thread between the elder team, where we pray for each other. We were doing it 24 hours from right now. We were doing it yesterday, uh, praying. Every time my phone buzzes and I see those names show up on my phone, sometimes, no, football season, there's a little bit of foolishness. Nothing we want you to read is just some foolishness. But most of it, 95% of it, year-round, is prayer request 
or great things that happened or praises to God or guys pray with me for this or pray for this or that and the other. It's, it's, it's not constant, but it's regular. One of the greatest blessings of my life is to read and pray with these men and pray with these men twice a month when we meet. And so my phone buzzes and these guys are on there. I'm connected. And so we can do that. We, most of us have phones and we can pray. Do not send a prophetic prayer text. Pray first and then send the text that you're praying for them. You'd be amazed how encouraging that is. So what that does is we pray for boldness. When boldness occurs, here's what boldness does. Boldness is fueled by a thing called passion. That's also an overused word these days. Here's, here's all passion is. Passion is simply putting pain before common sense. When people are passionate, we will do things and we will say things boldly when it makes common sense not to do so. And what that does, what passion does, it creates movement and clarity. When someone is living in a passionate manner, from inside out, from where the Holy Spirit resides, if you, you walking through life in boldness means I'll be clear and I will move toward what the gospel tells me to move toward, relationally and emotionally. So Paul is saying something super important there. When he, We'll read that again. He says, to that end, with the armor in mind, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and then pray for me that I would be even more bold. The very thing that got Paul put in prison, he's praying for more of. It doesn't make common sense, and it's painful. And he says, do it anyway. Pray that for me. Verses 21 and 22, he makes a transition to kind of close out his letter. He says, so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. True friend, this guy Tychicus shows up in five places in the New Testament in Acts chapter 20 where he and a group of other people go to Troas to meet Paul after big trouble in, this, in Ephesus. Big riot broke out. And, and he is one of the group of people that Paul wants to get with over in a place called Troas after this is, he's escaped all this. He shows up in our text here in Colossians 4, much the same way. Paul says Tychicus is coming to you to deliver a letter to you in the church of Colossae. By the way, the church of Colossae is where a man named Philemon lived. If you remember the story in Philemon, there's a runaway uh, slave. And um, <clears throat> Paul appeals to Philemon to take him back do not punish him. He is a brother in Christ. Who does he send with Onesimus to advocate for him? Tychicus. He sends this guy. And so when Timoth when Paul, 2 Timothy 4, when Paul is near death, Paul wants to be with his spiritual son, Timothy. Who does he send to stand in for Timothy while Timothy's gone? Tychicus. And so he's sending Tychicus to take care of churches, to take care of other people, to advocate for people, to walk with people uh, in a way that they would be encouraged. And Titus 3, he, uh, there's a man named Artemis um, that either he or Tychicus are going to go to and then relieve Titus at his church in Crete. And so the profile of this man, Tychicus in the New Testament, is a man who is reliable, who is an encourager, who is an advocate, who will show up uh, in, in the place of other people. Paul calls him the beloved brother. There's something to that. That article, the, is not saying, hey, he's a great guy. He's a good guy. He's a good friend of mine. He is saying to them, but that use of the word thee, hey, you know this guy. He's the beloved brother Tychicus. Y'all remember him. 
Like, and, the, and the people would read this letter and go, oh, yeah, when Tychicus got there, like, oh, yeah, we do. We know you, Tychicus. Because remember, um, they didn't have snail mail or email. Tychicus is taking this letter to them, and Tychicus is reading it to them. And as he ends, so can you imagine? Now, this is not what the text says directly, but just imagine this. These are humans. These are people. And so Tychicus comes to Ephesus, and he sits everybody down, and he reads this letter from Paul. He rolls up and sets it down, and they go, well, Paul said you were going to tell us how things are going. Go ahead and tell us. Just think about the conversation, how they would laugh, and your ticket goes would be like, yeah, he's literally praying for boldness, and he's pretty bold because if you read the last verses of the book of Philippians, it says in there, Paul says, hey, the, the believers here send you greetings, including those in the household of Caesar. It's a little bit of a wink. What he's saying is, hey, these Roman guards they're chained to me for eight hours and they would gnaw their arms off get away from me i'm talking my head off the whole time i think god you imagine being a roman guard chained to that dude <laughs> it's like god, let me out of here and so they're coming to know christ they're going back into caesar's household and it's almost like tychicus is going oh yeah yeah the romans think they're in charge with paul they got guys chained to him and he's leading them to Christ, and they're going into Caesar's household, so there are Christians in the household of Caesar because of Paul's imprisonment. And can you imagine the laughter and people going, oh, my gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. Are you kidding? Yes. No, I'm not kidding. He's really doing that. And then at other times, they may be weeping and crying about how in the depths of despair, perhaps, Paul is having. We don't know the details, but we know these humans that Paul said, Tychicus is going to fill you in on how I'm doing and what's going on here. I just want him to, to be the one to let you know that. And so he's reading that letter. He reads it. He puts it down. And then the conversation starts. How long did that thing go? You just imagine. I don't know if they drank coffee, but if they did, they're drinking coffee. And they're just having a conversation. They're asking Tychicus questions. And these are people. And he's telling them, yeah, this is what's happening in that prison. And I got a letter that goes to the Philippians and to the Colossians and, and to y'all. And this is what's happening. This is what God is doing through Paul's life. And this is what God is doing through your prayers on his behalf. And this is what he's praying for, this boldness. And this conversation continues in my imagination late into the night. And Tychicus is telling what all that happened. Y'all may remember we had a pandemic recently. Well, there's another pandemic that has continued unabated that came clear in that pandemic. It's called loneliness. It's a lonely, lonely world. I believe it predated COVID, uh, but the UK created a cabinet position. It's called the Minister of Loneliness. They made a position of their government for a person to monitor loneliness in that country. It's a lonely world. Physicians are now being told, I'm told physicians are being told to as part of an assessment Part of the assessment on a patient is blood pressure and all the other stuff and to get an assessment of how many relationships do they have and how often do they have contact. There's one study that says that, uh, that the loneliness epidemic, the, the toll it takes on the human body, is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's that debilitating to the human body, loneliness. And so what Paul is telling us by implication here, he's got Tychicus. And when something comes up that needs to be taken care of, he sends that man to do it. He's sending them to these people too. And he's saying, this man is meaningful to me. And oh, by the way, so is Timothy. I sent Tychicus to Timothy's church to stand in for him so Timothy could be with me because they're about to chop my head off. And I want to be with Timothy. 
This man was deeply, deeply related and in relationship with the people that he loved and that loved him. So Dr. Dan Siegel, man, I wish this was mine. This is really super strong about relationship. Dan Siegel has said this, there are four things that are characteristics of secure attachment. The thing that keeps our loneliness at bay, the thing that answers our loneliness with intimacy, there are four things, to be seen, to be soothed, to be safe, and to be secure. And to be seen means someone knows my story. That's how we see one another. I know where you're from. I know what makes you tick. I know your giftedness. I know your limitation. You know mine. You know my weaknesses. You know my strengths. You know what I'm great at, what I'm not great at. You know where I struggle and where I don't because you know I struggle. That's to be really seen. And to be soothed means to be comforted. The word comfort, let's look at how that word is spelled. The last four letters are fort. To be comforted means to be fortified through presence. It really means to be strengthened. That's what's so powerful about what's called the ministry of presence. Words, certainly words are great, but just being present with someone as they grieve, as they suffer, is fortifying. It's strengthening. So to be seen and soothed, then to be safe. Safe means someone's looking out for my welfare. Now, that means they're advocating for me. They're paying attention. They're looking out for my welfare. But it also means they're confronting me and giving me feedback, like, Safety means I'm looking out for your welfare, and what you're doing is dumb. Don't do that, <laughs> right? So safety also means as you're looking out for my welfare, I'm looking out for yours. We tell each other the truth about all of that because I want you to be safe. I want, I'm looking out for you, so pay attention to this. And people that love me say, hey, you need to pay attention to this. You're getting off the rails. Pay attention. Safety and then security. Security simply means that I can struggle with you or you can struggle with me out loud without fear of being rejected, humiliated, or abandoned. A secure relationship says you can be yourself. It doesn't mean I won't confront you or that you won't confront me, but you can be yourself. I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to abandon you, and I'm for sure not going to humiliate you. I'm not going to take your story and splash it everywhere or take advantage of it or exploit you or harm you. Secure. So, Paul is telling us again by implication, he's deeply connected to this man and he trusts this man and a true friend. He's a true friend to address loneliness, which is at pandemic levels in our world, to address loneliness, find relationships in where you're seen and soothed and safe and secure. Everybody needs a Tychicus. Now here's a quiz. Do you know the best way to find a Tychicus? That's to be one. Be a Tychicus. Be someone who says, I will let you see me, and I will hear your feedback and your encouragement to be soothed, and, and I, will, I will be safe with you, you'll be safe with me, and we'll have security. I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to abandon you. I may set boundaries with you, but I'm not going to abandon you or reject you. I'm not going to humiliate you, and I want you to do that for me. Think about the difference in the body of Christ if we paid attention to what Paul is telling us about real, true human relationship here and began to live that out. We begin to live that out as we pray for one another, begin to live that out as we relate to one another and hear and know each other's stories. So we, we can find the Tychicuses in our life by being one to, to other people. So Paul's addressed two things mainly. He's addressed this idea of what started in verse 10, what it really means and how it's lived out to be prayed for and to pray for others inside the armor. 
And then he transfer, he moves from that, transitions into, hey, I know someone who wears the armor well and who helps me wear mine. His name's Tychicus. I'm sending him to you to tell the story to you of how I'm doing. And then he ends with uh, what, could, what could, I think, accurately be called a, a benediction. Before we read it, I want to talk about it before we read it. You'll notice the benediction has key, really strong words in it that we recognize being very biblical. Love, faith, grace, uh, peace, those loves. If you look at the words in there, the word grace is mentioned almost 150 times in the New Testament. 12 times in six chapters in Ephesians. It's really important. Like grace, 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 grace. And the word peace, you look at the Ephesian church in terms of the it's called exegesis, what, what the original audience would, would hear. What this original audience in the church of Ephesus would, would be recognizing is when Paul talks about peace, this is a church where Jews and Gentiles came together to form one body. And so they needed peace and were working toward peace with one another. Two very, very, very different people groups coming together in one body to be together, to do this together. So peace, big subject there. And then grace, it's that word, Latin word, gratia, which means favor, and the word favor comes from a word that means promptness or willingness or even free. And so when we see this word grace, we can think about it meaning free favor. Like I receive favor and it's free. Just because I'm here, I get favor. Just because we're here, we get God's favor and favor from one another. So Paul is saying to them, please ruminate, please be aware uh, of the free grace that is available to you and, that, and that's coming to you. So that loops back to, to the, I'm going to kind of build a, a little platform for you here, almost like a pyramid. So I want you to think about this. The foundation, Paul says in this benediction, love. Every bit of this comes from love. If you don't have that, nothing else is going to happen. And the middle piece on that pyramid, what, it, what, what are we aiming for? Peace with each other. Peace with the brethren, as Lucian called it. We're, we're aiming for peace. And, and what sits on top of all of that? Grace. Free favor. So the foundation of love, aiming toward peace with one another, with grace covering all of it, Paul said that's what the, what the benediction is. And don't miss this, that Paul ends with Jesus. The cross is central. In everything we do, every sermon we preach, everything we read, every letter Paul writes, every word in this thing from Genesis 1-1 through the end of the book, as, a, as an old preacher used to say, to the end of Maps, uh, every bit of that is about Jesus, all of it. It's about him. Paul ends in the same way. One writer said this. He, uh, he says, benedictions are better to be memorized than explained. So I'm going to stop explaining it. So here's what I want you to do. Just as we kind of move toward the ending and a so what, I want you, I'd like you to do this. Read along with me silently. Close your eyes if you want. I'm just going to read these words over us as a benediction as we begin the wrap-up this morning. So... It's verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's let that settle in on you for a minute. I'm going to read it again. Peace be to the brothers, to the brethren, to the body. Peace be to the body of Christ and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So as we move into so what this morning, 
Henry David Thoreau, famous writer. I don't know his spiritual condition, but I do know he stumbled on some real truth here. I'm going to read you a quote that he said. The question, Thoreau says, the question is not as much what you look at, but what you see when you look at it. He's talking about a filter. What you look at is not, a, what, the question is not as much what you look at, but what do you see when you look at it? So as we move into a soul, what I want to ask you to think about your filter. So as you ponder these things, I want you to ponder these just four things. What do you see when you look at world at war? What do you see? What's your filter for seeing that? As you pray for one another, who do you see? As you're praying for people in the body, praying for needs that you know about, who do you see? And then when you look in the mirror and you consider yourself the kind of friend you are, the kind of friend you have, what do you see there? What's your filter? And then the benediction, living in peace and love and faith and grace. When you consider those things and you consider the foundation of love and the goal of peace and the grace that covers all of it, who do you see in that mirror that, that God sees? So ponder those questions. We go into so what? Jesus, we come to you this morning and 
we do pray that you would help us see the reality of the war that we're in. And because of that, we would stay alert. We would stay awake to what matters. Lord, help us with the filter to see that, yes, the world is at war from Genesis 3 forward, but we're at war too. We're at war not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness. And so help us to see the reality of that and to live accordingly. Thank you that you have given us <clears throat> weapons of warfare. We pray because we fight on our knees. They're different than conventional weapons. But man, they're, they're your weapons, Lord. So I pray you would help us do just that. Grateful that even the last few verses of the book of Ephesians are not throwaway lines. <clears throat> they're meaningful, purposeful as every word written in your word is. Thank you for what you've done uh, in us and hopefully through us in this remarkable book of Ephesians. Uh, Lord, we need your word. Your word is timeless. It is inerrant. It is authoritative. And it has the first and the last word in our lives. Make us live like that. <clears throat> and everyone said, <clears throat> amen.